It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, April 25th, the On the Table edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Leo, who is four and three quarters, and Eliza, who is eight. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 13, and Ezra, who is 16. Rebecca Lavoie can't be with us this week, but we have a special guest. I'm Ruth Graham, and I'm a Slate staff writer in New Hampshire, and I'm the mother of Mary, who is three and a half. Today on our show, we have a question about how to talk to little girls about body image, and another about whether you, yes, you, should get a vasectomy. You probably should. (laughs) Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails. We will make recommendations, and on Slate Plus, we will hear about Ruth's Easter and about how she's raising her daughter in the church. Ruth, as the guest, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, I have a triumph. I was thinking about this. We are in potty training hell in my house right now, and I was trying to think of some, you know, amusing way to talk about that, but I'm going to spare it (laughs) because I'm in the middle of it, and I can't, (laughs) you know, when you're in in the middle of a battle, you can't, like, write a poem about the battle yet, so I'm just (laughs) sparing you that. (laughs) Um, So I have a triumph about toddler bedtimes um, that I hope has some kind of broader significance beyond the toddler years. Um, My daughter's three and a half, and she's actually been a pretty decent sleeper over the years, no major trauma. Um, But starting last fall and kind of into the winter, bedtime was just taking longer and longer. We had this routine, and then suddenly, you know, she needed one more book, or she wanted me to stay with her for like one more timer. And, you know, Over the course of the months, I realized, like, I'm setting five different timers, and there's one more, and there's a routine of the one more, and then the two more. And it just was just stretching to, I think, by January or February, really sort of two hours um, some nights, which is just miserable. It's no way to live. And um, it was cutting, you know, almost sort of completely cutting into my husband's and my, like, time at the end of the night to just decompress and watch TV. And it just was miserable. Um, and, and it's just sort of crept up on us without us realizing how bad it had gotten. Um, so bedtime had always been my duty. Like he would do bath time. We'd do bedtime. That was just the routine that just, I think, started pretty naturally because I had been breastfeeding and then I was just the bedtime person. Um, and by the time it got so miserable, you know, it did occur to me, like, maybe we should switch and he should do bedtime. But when it's the most miserable longest like by far the worst parenting task you don't want to be like my idea is you should do the horrible thing um so we just kind of put that off and then eventually it was like something had to change and he took over in february and it was kind of magical (laughs) um within a few days you know he just sort of came in and kind of laid down the law in a friendly parent of toddler way but like sort of said we're going to do this in a different way um, and something about, you know, the the major routine shift of having daddy do bedtime, I would say within like three or four days, 
bedtime, you know, now it takes 20 to 25 minutes. Um, and it's like pretty painless. I mean, I'm not up there, but she doesn't cry. She doesn't whine. She knows exactly what the routine is. Um, and I, I don't know. I had, I'm a really strong believer in like routine and consistency and like every routine has to be the same all the time. And that's what kids need. But the upshot of that is that a really, you know, a pretty small change in routine like this really signified to her things are changing now um, in a way that I don't know that that would work for, you know, every family at every time or even everything in our lives. But it really was kind of amazing how just making that switch, you know, now I do bath time and he does bedtime, like changed our lives. And it is incredible. Anyone who's gone through like any kind of sleep or bedtime issues with kids knows how much they affect the parents' lives. Um, And it's just been, it just was an amazing quality of life change for us. So if you're struggling with bedtime stuff and you have one parent doing it all the time, (laughs) I just recommend ripping off the Band-Aid and swapping roles. Well, the other thing that occurs to me about what you say is you say like you're a believer in routine and she should know what the routine is and it should be firm, but in this case, changing it was what made the difference. In fact, there wasn't a firm routine before. Yeah. In fact, the routine routine before was mommy does it and maybe I can get another timer out of it. And right now we do seven timers, but I bet I could go for eight. Let's shoot for eight. Maybe tomorrow it'll be 11. And And she could. She could. I thought of myself as, you know, I I didn't want to be the pushover mom, but she got me. She'd figured me out. Yeah. And that's not the firm routine at all. Like that's replacing, you've you've replaced a wishy-washy routine with an actual routine. Um, This also goes to my friend Tyler's... um, he has a theory called Christmas morning, which is that kids will never go to sleep if they think it's going to be really fun when they wake up. Like on Christmas morning, the kid always is going to wake up at 4.30 in the morning. And so you always have to, like whoever is the less popular parent has to be the one to like be the first one up with them. Um, if they like are really in a mommy phase and want to snuggle with mommy, then like, no, nope, mommy's asleep. You can come downstairs with dad if you want, but it's not going to be that much fun. And lo and behold, they stay in bed. It's great. That is so That's smart. Funny. Tomorrow will be miserable. Yeah. Parenting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't no, let. That makes so much sense. That's really smart. Make sure your kids have nothing to look forward to. It's tomorrow. Uh, Carvel, what about you? Triumph or fail this week? I I don't know. I mean, I think I'm going to count it as a triumph that I'm just parenting a teenager and two teenagers, but one of them is really being a teenager. And I think it's a triumph that I it's not worse is what I think. I think that it's the fact that it's not going as bad as it could be going. I mean, it's going bad, but like it's not as bad as it could be is a triumph because I feel like I'm sort of parenting a teenager is a little bit like uh, being on a tiny little ship uh, um, amidst lots of waves. And you're as long, you know, it's it's rocky. It's upsetting. Everything is splashing and getting wet. But as long as you haven't capsized the vessel, you feel you feel like you here on top of things um it's Ezra and I have been just weirdly at odds I know that it seems like we I, I feel like I say that a lot which is true because it seems to be happening a lot and also we like have this other thing where we bond over all the stuff but he just he just he just gets really um he just he's like I don't know. You know, I don't know. He's just like has this he just is like mad at me and I'm sort of irritated with him too, but not I don't maybe I am irritated with him more than I think, but I feel mostly just like um 
it we're just having tr- it's like a little bit like a bad marriage it almost feels like mm-hmm. we it, and i was thinking a lot of, about it because we had this thing last night where i had to go screen this film for my job and they it was like i was able to like bring the kids along which was great so like Ezra's interested in filmmaking and it's great and he went to the film summer camp and the film festival that did the summer camp is the people who were putting on the screening and so he was going to go and get to connect with people and it was all good but then he said he couldn't make it so then uh because he had rehearsals so then georgia was like i'll go so then I got I like cleared Georgia to go and then Ezra called at the last minute to say that he could make it but I needed to bring him so then I had to I was like nope I it's I your sister is now took your place it's over so then he called his sister to try to get her to give it up and oh. she was like no screw you and it was a whole thing anyway eventually I ended up taking both of them fine so we go to see the movie the movie's amazing on the way home everything's great we're processing how wonderful the movie was we had burritos they, they we were at a playground this like huge playground in San Francisco that is still is actually big enough for them to play at and they thought it was really funny to go run around and play at a playground even though they're like six feet tall and they did and it was just great it's like nighttime beautiful night eating burritos playing in a playground just wonderful times so then in the car on the way home there's this conversation breaks out about the burritos and as was like georgia didn't finish her burrito ezra finished his and asked if he could have georgia's georgia's like yeah you can have it and then halfway through eating georgia's he goes well why didn't you finish your burrito she was like because i was full and he was like well wow like i i ate a whole burrito and i'm eating part of yours and then he was quiet for a moment he was like i feel like sometimes i overeat and uh we were kind of quiet because we've had that thought about him that he sometimes uses food as like an emotional whatever and then and then georgia was like well you know i've heard that you should stop bringing like you should stop eating in front of the tv that's one of the things and i was like yeah you know one of the things i feel like i've learned is that you actually don't have to eat until you're like a hundred percent stuffed and can't eat anymore you can actually stop eating when you're still feeling a little hungry and then you know, if you're going to eat, if you're hungry, you can get some food later because we're in a situation where we more or less have access to food pretty much whenever we need it. And then he said, wow, that's like really helpful. And I said, yeah, I mean, you know, there's like a whole bunch of stuff. It's like all the stuff we've been telling you since, you know, for a long time. And then he just froze. He was like, why did you say that last thing? Mm. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, why did you say that? Why did you add that thing in about all the stuff you've been telling me that? I was like, no, I just was, it was, it was like a shorthand for like, it's a whole list of things and like, it, it's all the stuff, you know, you, and he was like, no, you just did that to make me feel bad. That didn't help. That just made me feel terrible. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> like, and he was like, you really, you're just pretending like you don't understand how you're hurting me, dad, but that, that sucks. I can't believe you added that. And I was like, I really didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. Like my, my bad like it just was and then the whole ride home was just awkward and quiet and he got out of the car and he didn't want to look at me and I just was like I, <laughs> I mean I felt terrible he obviously felt terrible poor Georgia was like these two were at it again and then uh and then it's like we didn't talk that night and then in the morning on the way to school he's like in a totally different mood we're laughing he's we're making small talk he's asking me questions I'm ask, asking him questions I don't understand it. It's like, <laughs> I, don't re- I really don't understand it. But I felt so bad going to bed last night. I was like, does he just think that I'm this terrible person whose only role in life is to like find ways to destroy him like psychologically? Am I destroying him psychologically? Like I just had so much second guessing. Um, and that sounds like a fail, but I will say that <laughs> the, the reason it's a triumph is because I didn't make it worse. 
I didn't like act out of the place of hurt and fear and anger and resentment that I had because inside I was thinking, let me get this straight. I take you to the city to my work thing. I go all out of my way, blah, 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 take you this opportunity and this is how you respond. All stuff I wanted to say. I didn't say any of it. I just, you know, kind of sort of stayed the course, didn't let my emotions guide my parenting, waited the thing out. And then the next day, you know, it seemed fine. But yeah, you know, he's not a bad kid. But still, having raising teenagers is like a lot. is is the conclusion. So there you go. Yeah. Wow. I I mean, I hear you tell that story, and I am like both of you in that story. You know what I mean? Like, totally. like I, there is totally. still definitely the part of me that's like, oh my god, how could you say that? You just made it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I mean, I, I'll know not to. I mean, I'll know not to say it. But then part of me is like, why are you so sensitive? But then when I say that, I'm like, oh my god, that's my own mother talking to me when I was a teenager, being like, you know, and just because I, it was the same thing. My mother could be like, this is a this is a cat, and I'd be like, Jesus Christ, mom, <laughs> what is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> just so sensitive and jumpy. <laughs> It's to do with, like, for a minute there, it, it, he felt like an adult, and then with one sentence, you turned him back into a kid. There you go. And, and like, he, he, he had taken on this new thing, and he could feel himself growing in his understanding of the world and his body and his relationship to food, and it, wow, the whole world seems different, and look how big and powerful I am in my understanding. <laughs> and then, oh, yeah, right, this is just like me being a little kid and my dad nagging me. Actually, I was wrong. I thought I was oh. big and powerful, but actually I'm a tiny child. You nailed it. That's exactly it. Adolescence fucking it. sucks. Just, like, I'm oh, so glad so I never bad. have to go through that again. it's over for everyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, and I love teenagers. There's so much about adolescence that's great because the conversations you get to have with your kids the the relationships you get to have with them the the like just having young people in their like active brains and their energy and like when it's going great it's really tremendous teenagers are so wonderful but uh it, it can also be just such an emotional minefield you know it's a lot and i'm and I, i'm really grateful for the whole experience <laughs> even the hard parts all right um i have a fail i have a i have a, a an, an easter egg hunt fail um, I, have a, I have a seasonal fail, pastel colored, seasonally themed fail. Um, we, we, on Easter Sunday, we do, we have folks over, we have like cousins over and we have an Easter egg hunt in the park. We've been doing it for a while. And it, my wife started this tradition cause she used to do it when she was a kid, but I really like this tradition. And, um, so this Sunday, the cousins and, and my brother and his wife and the kids came over and also some friends of our kids came over. So there was a larger group than usual. There, there were uh, uh, seven kids and they range in age. The oldest of the kids is like 11 of these friends and then they go down to like three. And so there's a big age range. So me and my brother go to the park and we hide all the colored eggs and like there's this one area where we do it and like we, we – hide about 30 eggs and they're all hidden and then like the all everybody comes over to the park and then so i realized okay if i if i just let them go then this big kid who's 11 and eliza who's eight and her cousin nate who's seven are gonna just like tear through they're gonna they're big enough now that they can like find all the eggs and this little three-year-old and leo's not yet five and they're not gonna find any eggs and it's gonna be a real bummer for them and i can see where this is going i'm gonna like uh, plan ahead. So I'm not going to set up a situation where the younger children are crying because they only got like one egg and the older kids have a huge basket full of eggs. Instead, I'm going to like, we're going to change the rules. So now the, the three youngest kids get a head start. 
I were going to say three minute head start for the youngest kids. And the oldest kids protest a little bit, but like, no, this is fair because they're younger and they need a head start. But I wound up giving them too much of a head start. <laughs> <laughs> particularly because Leo and, and his friend are almost five and they can now cover quite a lot of ground. And like by the time I release the older kids into the Easter egg hunt, almost all of the eggs are gone. And it wound up with the younger kids are like, look at me, I got 19 eggs. And Eliza is like, I, I only got two eggs and this little kid got 19 eggs. What the hell is wrong? A am, I, am I a failure? Am I bad at finding eggs? Is this whole thing rigged against me with this head start business? And so he, the, the whole thing was kind of miserable in the end, uh, but not in the way that I had anticipated, in the opposite way. So um, that was my Easter fail. I, she got over it pretty quickly, but uh, it was still a bummer. I mean, you you disadvantaged, you tilted the field in in favor of the kids who are like least equipped to emotionally handle that kind of trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is it helpful? It's it's a lesson for older kids who are equipped to be able to kind of confront that lesson, maybe. That was my hope, and, and and I don't think any I don't think I did any permanent damage, and it didn't ruin the day or anything like that. But it definitely, like having felt like I had cleverly planned ahead, I wound up feeling like I I was sort of hoist on my Easter petard. <laughs> well, Easter is about sacrificial love, right? Oh, great point. <laughs> there you go. Next year. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, next year I'll explain it to them that um, that's how we celebrate the death and, and rebirth of the Easter Bunny is is through this kind of slightly traumatic uh, egg hunting event. <laughs> you should nail an Easter Bunny to the cross and the first kid who finds it gets an extra prize. Ooh, that would be a grotesque Easter egg hunt. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a terrible idea and, and, and I'll, I'll see how it goes and let you know. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Before we move on, let's do the business. If you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, why not? Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting, and sign up. It's a really good community, lots of cool people. They're talking about parenting. They're asking questions. They're giving answers. They're making recommendations. They're offering advice. They're sharing triumphs. They're sharing fails. It's a good time. Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. On Slate Plus today, we're going to talk to Ruth about her family's religious life and about how she is raising her daughter in the church. Uh, it's a really interesting conversation. If you want to hear it, you need to join Slate Plus. It's our paid membership program. It's only $35 for your first year. If you join, you help support this show and you get an extra segment every week. You get no ads in any of your Slate podcasts. It's a great deal. Go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus and join up today. That's slate.com slash mom and dad plus. And finally, sign up for our parenting newsletter. Find out about new episodes of this show, new care and feeding columns, new parenting stuff on Slate. Go to slate.com slash parenting email. That URL again is slate.com slash parenting email. Okay, back to the show. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Time to take a question from a listener. Uh, this one came to us over email. You too can send us questions by email if you know our email address, which you will because I'm about to tell it to you. It's slate.com. Calm. Here's that question being read for us by Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I was wondering if you all have advice about how to talk to your kids about appearance so that they feel comfortable with who they are and what they look like. My fear is that I may be doing something inadvertently to set my children up for eating disorders or body appearance issues in the future. Or maybe there's something critical that I'm not doing. I have three girls, a four-year-old daughter and two-year-old twin girls. So if I'm doing something wrong, I want to correct it now before the twins get older. My four-year-old daughter will sometimes get upset about the way she looks to the point of temper tantrums and yell things like, I don't like the way I look, or I hate my face. Other times when we're getting ready for events, she will say things like, I want to wear this dress, chapstick, hair clip, etc. So that boy X, my dad, etc. will see me and say I look so beautiful. I am not a glamorous person. I don't regularly wear makeup, fancy jewelry, so I don't think that I'm modeling this kind of behavior, but I do let her watch typical kid shows. Current obsession is Frozen, also watches Doc McStuffins, Daniel Tiger, and other Disney movies. So perhaps it could be partially from what she sees on TV? Any suggestions on how to talk about the unimportance of outer beauty for Disney princesses? Of course, her dad and I do sometimes comment about how nice she looks, and grandparents will tell her how beautiful she is when they come over. I've thought about having at least me and my husband hold back on commenting about how she looks so that we aren't emphasizing that. But then again, maybe she would just try harder to get the compliment. Thank you for any recommendations or insight you can provide. Ruth, do you want to go first on this one? This is uncannily descriptive of my household right now. I have a three and a half year old and she's been in a frozen phase for months now. Um, and part of the fixation, I actually think it's a pretty good movie, but it's, uh, you know, her her interest in it is definitely about how beautiful Elsa is. And there's a, a moment in Let It Go when Elsa changes her dress and lets her hair down. And, you know, that's definitely the moment of the movie for her. Um, and, you know, this this has come up in our house at the same time as she does have this new and very strong interest in categorizing things as beautiful um, in the same way that sounds like your daughter does. Um, it, it struck me in your letter that, you know, your daughter says, I want to wear this dress and so-and-so will see me and say that I look beautiful. Um, and I wonder, you know, my daughter uses the word beautiful a lot, but she really means fancy. Um, and that's it, a subtle difference, but I think it's important. Um she told me the other day it was Saturday and we were just sort of schlubbing around at home and she asked me very sweetly why I chose not to be beautiful that day. 
Um, and I kind of laughed, but I, I, I wonder if <laughs> sometimes at least that's how your daughter is using it. You know, it doesn't mean why do you look ugly? Why are you ugly? It means why have you chosen not to dress up and wear makeup and wear your fancier clothes? And I love it when you wear those fancy clothes. Um, I kind of like that way of thinking about beauty because it turns it into something we choose. That's I think that's sort of the rule of thumb for commenting on someone's appearance is that you should only comment on something they made a decision about that morning. So, you know, I like your blouse or I like the way that you styled your hair or something, but you avoid anything like weight or haircut or anything like that that's permanent or quasi-permanent. And I think... It, it does sound like your daughter is saying some things that are more like, I don't like my face. And, uh, you know, that's that's a harder thing. Um, but a lot of this seems like it falls under the category of this new awareness of I can exert some control over my appearance and other people pay attention to it. Um, kids are so essentialist about gender stuff at this age. They're just really rigid little thinkers. Um, my daughter has this incredibly complex taxonomy of fanciness so you know things that have one sparkly thing are fancier than plain things and tights are fancier than leggings and she wants to talk on and on about this and it's very boring but it's important to her and she's clearly working through some stuff with it that it sounds like your daughter is too um and you know one way i try to respond to that is not discouraging her from wanting to be fancy um or be beautiful as she talks about it um but just sort of I guess I have this position of like aloof attention where I'm paying attention, but I'm not um, acting like I care about it too deeply or think about it in the same way she does. Um, But it is, it's fun to dress up. It's fun to feel beautiful. It's nice to have other people tell us we look nice. Um, And I think it's possible to kind of allow for those things and also just talk naturally as it comes up about it's also fun to you know feel comfortable or to wear things that let us move our bodies or to wear the astronaut shirt because we're learning about space in school and um i I just don't think we have to fully shut down the fact that you know first of all it's nice to be complimented and also that clothes are interesting and fun and a way of expressing ourselves um and you know elsa isn't just beautiful she has these frozen powers and i just think if you sort of keep the conversation going like that that there's no need to sort of um turn a phase like this which is mostly pretty normal into um you know we don't we don't need to borrow trouble basically mm-hmm. yeah yeah i have i kind of have this like I, I think that's right like in that i feel like um it, <laughs> There's this weird thing that happens when kids are this age where they do stuff that it would be horrifying if they did it for the rest of their lives. Uh, (laughs) And so we're like sort of inappropriately horrified when they do it at young ages because we think that it's now just who they are. And I think we just sort of forget that there so much stuff just disappears into the ether of the past as kids grow. And I think this can be one of those things. Provided that you, that the family doesn't fixate on it. Um, this morning, just this morning, when Georgia got into the car, she said the first thing she said to me was, uh, "I was running." She said, "She said I was." Mom was was like by the steps, and I ran by on the way out. And mom said, uh, "Bye, bye, Georgia. Have a good day. You look cute today." And then, she, and then as I was running down the steps, she said, "Mom, mom yelled." Oh, and and also smart and capable, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we laughed because that's like joke, like you know, like and so. Um, but that's something, I mean, she was doing it, Joe was doing it kind of like aware of the comedy of it, but that's based on something that we sort of realized when Georgia was younger, which is that it is, 
natural. The natural flow of society is to compliment girls on how they look Mm -hmm. and to organize all of our, when we want to be, when we see little girls and we want to be loving and kind towards them and show them that we sort of like them and, and, and the, make them feel good and stuff we oh what a pretty dress oh my god you're so pretty like wow what a pretty little girl you are i mean we i mean i just we don't really do that kind of stuff with boys or we do it differently with boys and so i think when georgia was younger i like was aware of how automatically i did that kind of thing and um and I felt like I wanted to work against that. So I did all this stuff that even George thinks is kind of corny by all these books about like astronauts and like women scientists and all this stuff. But I also um, made sure that when, that I just, you know, I tried to follow the rule that Ruth laid out, which I think is such a great rule, which is that I try to compliment Georgia on decisions that she's made. If it's, even if it's appearance related, I try to limit it to decisions that she's made that morning, not stuff about how she looks or whatever. Um, And, uh, and so I think that that's, that doesn't fix the problem, but it keeps us as a family from f- fixating on it, and it helps balance out the rest of society because we're – Joe and I are actively engaged in trying to, like, sort of reverse course and go upstream on all this gender stuff. But George is still operating in the world, and everyone out there is doing whatever they're doing, and television is doing whatever it's doing, and Netflix and movies and, and video games and everything is doing whatever it's doing. So she's getting all that input, so I view us as sort of like we're part of the counterbalance. <laughs> you know, um, Our solution doesn't fix it, and we're not capable of fixing it, but I feel like we have to provide that opposite weight. So that role of just like always making, f- you know, focusing on... Not telling her she shouldn't say this, you shouldn't focus on that, you shouldn't talk about this, because I don't want to go in there and, like, yuck her yum. But I also just want to add some weight to the idea that there are other things about you that I found valuable that have nothing to do with the way you look. And I also want to, like, continue to, like, say that so that you know not just that those things exist, but that those things are super important to me. And that your intelligence and thoughtfulness and care and, you know, really specific things about the way that she deals with the world, those things are valuable to me. And I want you to know that I, that, that, you know, that I have that so that you can maybe value that in yourself. And I think if you do that over time, it sort of works out. Yeah, I think the the point that Carvel makes about, you know, she lives in the world, I, I think is the main thing to keep in mind here. Um, like you ask, is there something I'm doing inadvertently that, to make her like this? And is it going to set her up for an eating disorder later? Or maybe there's something critical that I'm not doing. Maybe there's a crucial thing that you're supposed to say that inoculates your daughter against the whole issue of female body image in patriarchy. And like, I boy, do I wish I knew what that thing was. I, I fear that there is not actually a thing like that. I, you know, we, we went through something sort of similar with Eliza, or I guess I did, where from a very young age, she got interested in like she would only wear dresses and she only wanted her hair long. And I was sort of like, whoa, where is this coming from? We definitely haven't set her up for this. Our mom wears jeans all the time. And like, where, what is this about? And that lasted for like two years. And then she went through a phase of would never wear dresses. And now she's in a phase where she experiments with dresses, skirts and pants sometimes. It's crazy. And like, it's just her, in her case, I think, it's her trying to figure out like how to speak this language that everybody has to learn how to speak in order to not walk around naked all the time. Um, so yeah, I guess my main piece of advice to you is, 
is to try to keep in mind that this has much less to do with you than you think. And it would be great if you could inoculate your kid from this stuff, but you can't. But also that maybe takes some of the burden off of your shoulders. It's just not possible for you to keep her from from thinking about and experiencing this stuff in all the negative ways that you imagine that every woman has to deal with. And then also in the positive ways that, that Ruth points to about like, well, yeah, it's fun. She likes dressing up and being fancy. That's great. Eliza wound up getting super into dress up first in the fanciness sense of like having the jew- the fake jewels and the fancy dresses and the crowns and the princess stuff. And then as she got older, like now she's dressing up as Robin Hood and now she's dressing up as a werewolf and now she's still dressing up as a princess. And she like accumulated from older kids this like bin of dress up clothes that she still has in her room. And it was always just like really fun for her to try stuff on. And I, I my guess is that this is where it's going with your four year old. Get her a bunch of dress up stuff, make some of it princess stuff and then make some of it astronaut stuff and like just leave her to like play in it and and see what happens because I, I, I think it'll be fine. Time now to take another question from another listener. Uh, the question is different. The listener is different. The email address is the same. It's momanddad at slate.com. Dear mom and dad, my husband is considering a vasectomy. We have a wonderful daughter. She is almost four. We feel quite complete and happy with our family size and vibe. That's why we think vasectomy is probably the best contraception. But I still have some doubts. Maybe because we are both still young. I am turning 30 this year and he is 31. So I'd rather keep it open while my husband is more determined. From what I have observed, having another child is most likely going to take much more freedom and energy away from us, and there will be much more stress and chaos at home. For our daughter, having a sibling might be amazing. Might not be, though, too. It's hard to predict. I don't want to make the decision out of fear and duality. Choosing not to have another child because of the fear of challenges and having another child because of the fear of missing out. So please help me make a conscious decision. What are your thoughts and experiences? How did you decide on having two children? What do you honestly think about just having one kid? Thank you. I think this is actually a more complicated question than it would seem uh, at first glance, because I think if if a couple doesn't agree on how many children they're having, that's a really hard thing. And it sounds like you guys have a lot of agreement, but not 100% agreement, and that's tricky. Um, because people don't tend to change their point of view that much on an issue like that, especially if it's like, I'm not having kids. No, we are. Or, but even the number of kids, I think vasectomies are great (laughs) because it like, it just, I think that they're just great because like, it's a, it's, it's like a contraceptive method that is mildly invasive the recovery is quick. Uh, it's not an IUD. It's not condoms. I think it's great. And I think that, uh, and I think more people should, I think more couples, men should take the responsibility for their, for the collective contraception by getting a vasectomy. And, uh, and so that is, that just in and of itself, I'm like, if the guy wants to get a vasectomy, go, go get it. Like, by all means. And I think that 30 and 31 is young. I get it. But if your husband is really determined, then he doesn't want to have any more kids. Then he doesn't want to have any more kids. And if you're kind of holding out for the idea that he might have more kids later, I think that's a tricky situation. And you're going to have to work through that together and in counseling and in therapy because that's a really big deal. And I think people are pretty religious about 
that kind of topic. The thing about being an only child or having an only child, it's all fine, I honestly believe. I think that only children, I think it's fine to be an only child. I think it's fine to have siblings. I don't think that there's some ideal way that you have to organize your situation in order to make things exactly right for your kid. They, things can be good and bad of e- in equal measure, whether you are one kid or one of 19 children like my mother was. So I don't know that I have a lot to offer on that. I don't know. And I definitely don't know that I would make a decision based on that. And the, the listener asked, that said, when I was much younger, we did sort of make a decision based on that. And I don't know that I would do that now that I have hindsight. But when I was much younger, um, and we ha- you know, Joe and I decided that we were going to have two kids partially because we felt like, like the joke we used to make is that no kid should have to deal with us without help. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? That like, that, you know, that like we were a lot and it would be a lot for one kid to have to deal with us. And like, I think that was, you know, that was part of the reason. But part of the reason is we just, you know, like Joe and I were both only children and we thought the, sis- the brother sister thing or sibling thing was just super cool. And we just, you know, whatever. I don't even know how we ultimately decided. We just decided that we were wanted to have two kids and that was going to be our family. And that's it. But now that they're older and I'm older and I have more perspective on everything, I don't think it matters as much as I thought it mattered. I think it can be great either way. I think the main thing is that you and your husband have to come to agreement about it. And it sounds like you're not quite there yet. And I do think that you have to sort of get there um, before a largely irreversible procedure like a vasectomy takes place. Um, and so that's my one category. But the other category is that vasectomies are awesome. Get it, snip it, keep it moving. Thanks. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think it's a great trend that it seems like vasectomies are kind of more on the table now and more men are willing to get them. And, you know, it's it's awesome. You know, men should take ownership of birth control. And I, I love that. I don't think that this family, I, I don't think your husband should get a vasectomy yet. It just sounds like it has not been resolved um, and if you have doubts, I mean, you said it sounds like the best contraception for you guys right now, but it isn't because you still haven't, you know, you aren't settled in your decision to not have another child. Um, and from your description, it sounds like, you know, if I had to bet money, probably you will stay with one. I mean, it sounds like you are mostly, you've thought it through and feel, you know, you see all the pros of having just one child and you seem mostly comfortable with that, but you're obviously not a hundred percent there. Um, and I just wouldn't make a permanent decision on that yet. I, I'm in a pretty similar situation with one child, almost four. I'm older than you, um, so the decision is approaching more quickly for me, and you do still you have longer to think about it. Um, but it just it's it's pretty permanent. Um, and I, I just think give it some time, you know, give it a year or two years to sort of, let that conversation go on um, and and let yourself think about it and really sit with it. Um, and then when it is time, you know, yes, yay for vasectomies overall. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I am also in the firmly pro vasectomy camp. Uh, as Carvel says, it's quick and painless. And, and as he didn't mention, they give you really good drugs afterwards. So the recovery time is not just <laughs> um, relatively brief, but it's extremely enjoyable. Um, however... <laughs> 
Um, I will also say, like, it is, it's great in some ways. It's a great, great form of contraception. It's a way for the man to having, uh, you know, in some cases the man has not been responsible for contraception for much of the, his life. And then it's a way for the man to, like, take over that responsibility, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. thing to do. Uh, and it's, once you've had it done, it is way less fuss and bother than, than any other form of contraception available other, other than the, you know, equivalent female procedures. Um, but it slightly changes the way you think about yourself to know that you are are done having children. It like makes a difference in your head a little bit. And I think it probably makes a difference in the spouse's head too, to know that her partner is done having children and, and that's fine. And if you're ready for that, then that's really good. Um, I have two children. That's the number of children I wanted. That's the number of children my wife wanted. And like, that's, you know, that's nice to know. Like, here's our family. Here we are. We've got two healthy children and this is what we get. And that's great. And that's what we wanted. And that's great. Um, but if, if you're not at the point in your lives, I, you know, I was in my early forties and, and if you're not at a point in your life when you're ready to like feel done, then use some other great form of contraception, less convenient, but still effective forms of contraception abound. Um, and you can always do this one later but for your and your husband's peace of mind. And doing it in order to resolve a question that is still in some way open feels like it could be a big mistake. Not because you would necessarily want to make a different decision, but because you shouldn't be using one decision to make a different decision. You should be making each decision on its own merits. Does that make sense? I guess I'm asking yes. the caller if that makes sense, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I, I, I don't know because That's she wrote letter to writers us. at home nodding. Yes, I, I, email us mom and dad at slate.com and let us know. Does that make sense? Okay, time now for the part of the show that we like to call recommendations. It's where we recommend things in the form of recommendations. Uh, Carvel, what would you like to recommend this week? I'm going to recommend uh, a young adult book that probably is for 14 and up or a precocious 12-year-old might be able to get into it. That is They Both Die at the End from 2017 by Adam Silvera. Um, The story is a sort of like futurist, semi-futuristic setup where there's an app that tells you when it's going to be the last day of your life, like you know when you're going to die, and then the app connects you with other people that are going to die that day so you can have one big adventure. And so these two kids... um, uh, Mateo and Rufus find each other through this app and they have this adventure on the last day of their lives uh, and as the book suggests they both die at the end or do they um, but it's highly recommended for a lot of people I think they're making a movie actually um, I read an excerpt of it recently and was just blown away by the sort of you know when young adult not stuff is good it's really good because the emotional nuance is there and the kids are at that age where they're starting to hunger for human stories and um, sometimes the humans, the older stories that they get packaged on TV sort of like are just heightened and weird and garish in their emotional content. Uh, but they're capable of understanding much more subtle and layered and realistic stuff. And I think they both die at the end kind of gives that. And so that's the book I'm recommending. Uh, it's from 2017. And the author, again, is Adam Silvera. Wait, I, the one thing I'm hung up on is your or do they? Because I, if I'm going to read a book called They Both Die at the End, I want a, a fairly ironclad guarantee that I'm going to get two solid deaths at the end. Otherwise, Or I, do you? I'm going to feel ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know. I actually haven't finished the book yet, so oh. I don't know what happened. Oh, all right. Yet. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to continue assuming that they do I indeed. I just read an excerpt. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue assuming they do indeed both die at the end. Uh, maybe, maybe did that, I? <laughs> no, I, I am. I, de- I definitely am. Um, I'm going to recommend uh, something in a different category. I'm going to recommend frozen dinners. This is something that, like, (laughs) we have not gone big on frozen dinners because we have, like, ideas that frozen dinners are. In my family, we've had ideas that frozen dinners. I mean, we do them for the kids. We'll, like, I'll thaw out fish sticks and stuff for the kids. But for me and Tally, we have not typically eaten a lot of frozen dinners because we have a sense that that's bad. Maybe because we, we, when we were growing up, the frozen dinners that were available were not very good. And so um, now either one of us cooks or we wind up just, like, getting takeout or I'll make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or whatever, but like frozen dinners haven't been a staple of our diet. The other night we had uh, from a brand called Love the Wild, they have a barramundi with mango sriracha. We got it at I think Whole Foods and uh, you take it out and you wrap it up in parchment. Instead of just putting it in the microwave, you wrap it up in parchment and put it in the oven and in like half an hour you have this very delicious fish dinner and and it, it tasted completely fresh and not frozen at all. I was very surprised. So my recommendation is is barramundi with mango sriracha from, from Love the Wild but also more broadly to explore the category of frozen dinner in general because if you haven't checked it out for a while it seems like they've made a lot of progress there in in recent years ruth how about you uh my recommendation is mr rogers factory tour segments um on youtube there's Mm. i think the crayon factory is a pretty famous one but there's also erasers and macaroni and and toothpaste and these are just these segments where mr rogers sort of does his Mr. Rogers thing and very calmly and soothingly takes you on a little factory tour. Actually, you're just seeing footage of the factories themselves doing their thing and Mr. Rogers narrates. Um, And they're just slow and lovely and just totally opposed to kind of the natural metabolism of other kids' media. There's just an orderliness and an elegance and there's a system and they're just beautiful to watch. And they're also super interesting. So, um, a vat of toothpaste is really cool. It's like very cool to see them uh, scrape a huge vat of toothpaste into a huge funnel and then see it get <laughs> squirted bit by bit into the little tubes. And, you know, we're so like alienated from the sources of our stuff. I think that's something we've been now, by now, kind of been taught to think about with food, but it's really true of stuff too. And it's just really neat uh, to see everything that goes into making an eraser, which I had never seen before. I love that. Um, probably good for a lot of ages, but certainly I can I can testify to this being able to hold the attention of a, a three-year-old. Um, I get, partly, I've been thinking about YouTube. Screen time has sort of crept into our routine over the last six months or so. And the Wall Street Journal just did this piece a week or so ago about a bunch of major content creators on YouTube. And the, the journal couldn't even find nine of the 10 top creators that they set out to find. They're just sort of you know, they're based who knows where they're making this stuff with who knows what kind of guidelines. Um, I mean, we've all heard about some of the worst stuff on YouTube. And this isn't even stuff that's outright offensive, but it just it doesn't have education in mind. It's just really like um, the quality is kind of all over the place. Um, And the main one they focused on was actually one that my daughter also loves. It's this brand called Coco Melon that does these incredibly inane 
kind of sing-songy songs and cartoons, and I hate them, even though there's nothing really offensive about them. But I just see the <laughs> Mr. Rogers stuff as just such an antidote to that in just pacing and quality and, and thoughtfulness. And they're just kind of mesmerizing and, and beautiful in this little sort of a meditative moment on YouTube, which is it's rare to find there. There's also this wonderful, like when you have like a hundred erasers going along a conveyor belt and they're all exactly the same and they're positioned in a perfect line. It's one of those sort of beautifully perfect patterns that like emerges almost organically out of this industrial process. Like the point wasn't to create something visually beautiful, but it comes out looking so beautiful and that makes it feel almost like nature in a weird way. Hmm. Yeah, there, mm-hmm. there is something really <laughs> beautiful and mes- it's like, um, is it ASMR, but like visual somehow. Yeah. It's just this soothing, um, yeah. Yeah, the erasers are just going to keep on coming mm-hmm. as long as you can sit there. More erasers. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> uh, you can find those recommendations and all of the other recommendations that we have ever made at slate.com slash endorsements. Uh, that's why we call the section recommendations because you can find them on slate.com dot com slash endorsements. And that's our show. Slate Plus members stick around to hear a conversation with Ruth about what Easter is like in her family. If you have a question that you would like us to address, you can call us at 424-255-7833 or you could send us an email. Do you know what our email address is? That's right. It's at slate.com. Um, we have a Facebook group. I was thinking this morning, I was looking at our Facebook group and I was like, Ooh, I really like our Facebook group. And then I was thinking, that's weird that I really like a Facebook parenting group because I don't like Facebook. <laughs> and, and I, I generally would not think of myself as a person who was like into a Facebook parenting group, but, um, I, I, there's a community that's built up there and it's neat. People pop up and ask interesting questions and give interesting answers. And, uh, it makes me happy every day. If you're not a member yet, go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. Rebecca Lavoy will be back next week. For Ruth Graham and Carvel Wallace, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we will see you next time on Mom and Dad are Fighting. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.